Hey guys, welcome to The Absurdity, episode number five in Absurd Church. I have here today a really good friend of mine from back home in Orlando. His name is Stephen Hall, and I'll let him tell you a bit about himself. Uh, there's not much to tell, man. I'm a, I'm a ginger, originally from Orlando, Florida. Uh, I'm stuck now out in the desert, out in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, work at a, a boarding school out there as a dean and a Bible teacher. And I love me Jesus, the Miami Dolphins, and pie, pretty much in that order. So other than that, there's not much to me. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because Stephen and I met when we went to Southern and in Hebrew class. And the way what we found out was that we actually lived within two miles of each other back in Orlando. He's gone to my original home church for longer than I've been alive. And... Um, we just had missed each other completely until we got to Southern and when I went to college, which is just crazy to me. It's one of those examples of the world is so small that it's huge sometimes. Exactly. And then you met someone else who lives well, literally it, next door to you. That's what I say. If it makes you feel better, you weren't, you didn't live the closest that I had no idea who you were. Like I didn't meet Rodney until I got up there either. And he literally lives in the house next to me back home. So. Yeah. And that's just crazy to me how small the world is. All right, so uh, you when we talked uh, and brought up the idea of you coming on, we had we talked about um, really what the church's response to social justice issues um, is, what it should be, how it is currently, and 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 how can and how we can be effective in reaching communities and, and building bridges. And so, um, can you talk a little bit about why you're passionate about that, or why you think that that's something that needs to be discussed? Well, because when you think social justice, you think, well, the one person that can answer this question is a white, redheaded man, right? So, no, it, it, it's because I kind of am on the outside looking in and because I don't have a lot of these experiences that I really wondered, what could I be doing to help improve the conversation, to help improve the experience um, as far as what the church should be doing in instances of social justice? like, And... I, I'm, I have a lot of friends. I'm, I'm, I'm usually the only white male in my group of friends. Uh, so it was one of those things where it's like I've become very cognizant that I need to be part of the solution because I'm, whether I realize it or not, often part of the problem. And so. Yeah, and that's, you know, as a, as a, as a pastor on my end, it's really important for me to navigate this kind of stuff and figure out what, what I can do with my church and what, what I can do um, as well as an individual in some of these areas. Um, and so we say the church and I hear a lot of people say the church should be doing this. And so I want to be clear this episode in defining what we mean by quote unquote, the church. Are we talking about individual Christians? Or are we talking about like a whole organization, like your local church or your, your state conference within Adventism? What, what are we saying by the church response? Big picture. When I look at it, I'm looking at the local churches. That's, okay. that's where I feel like things have to start uh, because if you don't have activity there, then I don't think the conference is going to be as inclined to take things as seriously or move on a matter with any kind of speed necessarily because the you know, other things would be taking up their attention and rightly so. Uh, but I think if you have, starting with that being the, the definition, that local church, because that's usually where the problems are the most intense and the most actionable where you can have the most impact and effect. Yeah, I would agree. I think the local church is a, is a really significant uh, part of being involved with social justice issues. And I think that's, that's, that's where we see um, kind of Christianity in action. Some of these higher organizations, it's a little bit more difficult for them to get involved, whether their home base isn't near where the incident was or, you know, something like that, 
there's it's just harder for them to do it. And I think the local churches, there's always one nearby uh, that that can respond effectively. Um, so why why do you think the church should respond at all to social justice issues in general, whether it be race, homosexuality, LGBTQ plus, whatever? Why why do you think the church should respond? Because it's rooted in our mission. We're called to love others as Christ loved us. And I think to love somebody else doesn't mean that you sit idly by while entire communities of people are being affected. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times being affected by other members within the church. It's, it's, the church isn't the standalone, sit outside the scope of all these other things. Everything that is, we're dealing with in our daily lives, it's, it's reflected and, and kind of bounced back to us and yet magnified within the scope of that community that is the local church. And so I think that we have uh, a responsibility to our members if they're being affected by something to try to meet needs and to try to have understanding and to try to reach out and see what it is we can do to love them the way Christ would given any situation. I would agree with that. Um, do you think do you think that churches or lo- the local church should respond to something that happens outside of their city, whether it's a tragic attack, whether it's a shooting, whether, you know, whether it's a protest gone wrong, do you think that a church should respond to that kind of thing? I think that there can be instances where it's very useful to do so, but, and tell me what you think here, if you're not already involved on a local level and it takes something national to spark people to response, there's going to be a, a a question about, okay, why are we getting involved in something big when we're not even taking care of business here at home? Hmm. So not to say that you shouldn't get involved if it's a national thing, but if you do, in my mind, it helps if there's a track record of you already being involved locally because then you hmm. you have uh, experience to fall back on and people can say, oh, they do care about these things here in our community, so it makes sense for them to care about things on a national level. No, I, that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think... Um, Here's where I think I think that balance is found. If it's something that happens outside of your city, that's something that you can't provide um, immediate aid to or immediate interaction with. I think um, one of the most important things that the local church can be doing is um, having conversations, hosting conversations, maybe um, doing like an evening or a vespers program where where people can come and, and ask questions and and converse about some of these issues in a space that is full of prayer and, and is mainly. Uh, spiritual, because I think when when a lot of these things happen, and I see this on Facebook feeds, I see this on Twitter feeds, people have questions, and people are wondering where is God in this, and what what's happening here. And so I do think uh, I have a responsibility as a pastor to uh, be willing to be open about these issues inside my church, whether or not they happen in my city uh, and and where my church is based. I think that's kind of a proper response. I think that's fair, and I mean. I, I... Also, too, you have a chance to engage and maybe interact with communities that you might not have been up to that point as a church locally. So if you see something happen on a national level to a specific community, give you a reason to ask yourself, are we interacting with those same groups of people, those same communities within the scope of our own local church? And if not, gives you a chance to reach out to them and, and connect with them in a way that you might not have done before. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, I think the first thing that comes to mind within that is a friend of mine out in California, uh, Manny, Pastor Manny, he, his church after the Dallas shooting went out and showed appreciation to the cops in their city. Um, and that is a, you know, that's a, that's a group of 
people that are affected by something in, on a national level that they could reach out to because it does affect their community. And I think there are practical things that, that can be done within your city, even um, in response to national tragedies or national happenings. Um, so should, and this is, this is going to be hairy. All right. This, this next question is, is pretty loaded, but, uh, um, so we've entered the, there's no right or wrong, wrong. portion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, should the church be responding in areas where politics and social issues meet? Because there is the separation of church and state. And so how do we kind of walk that line? And, and should we, should we even have to? My initial gut response is yes, but I don't think it looks the way people normally think it looks. <clears throat> if I really had to answer that question, my first, I guess, area that I would look at is what would Christ do in that situation? We have his life as an example. He walked the earth in a very volatile political climate under the scope and rule of both uh, a very secular in the Roman Empire authority and dealing with a spiritual authority within the Sanhedrin and how it dealt with the thing. So it's like looking at how everything kind of got tossed around with him. I, I, I tend to say, okay, what would Jesus do in, in this particular thing? And I think looking at it through that, yes, he got involved, but not the way people think that he got involved. Yeah, so he, wasn't, he wasn't going and voting on anything. He wasn't going and, and engaging in the political nature of it. Basically, the way that he just interacted with people was his statement. And and I think that's... So he wasn't going out and campaigning for, for one person over another. He wasn't going out and, and campaigning for this policy over the other. He was just going out and, and interacting with people. And that kind of made his statement for him, I think. I, that's a fair way of putting it, I think. Although, just the idea that he would rock like a Nicodemus in 08 t-shirt makes me kind of happy <laughs> on some level. I think that would be hilarious. I don't, I don't know. I, I would kind of want to see what Nicodemus's campaign like uh, slogan and like uh, who, who his, logo uh, would look yeah. like. You know what I mean? Who his running partner, who his running mate would be. Yeah, just like, just like, it's like kind of like the, the, the Hope poster, but with Nicodemus's face, it just says born again under it. Something like that would be kind of <laughs> interesting. That would be hilarious. Um, but no, you're right. I don't think <clears throat> he wasn't making these overt political statements. And yet he was not in the sermons that he was preaching so much as in the company that he kept hmm. and the willingness he had to be seen and be involved with people who might be considered uh, politically or spiritually taboo by a lot of people. Gotcha. And I think that spoke volumes as opposed to getting up and trying to fall on one particular issue side or the other. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, and I think that's, that's an important way for the church to figure. And, and, you know, we talk a little bit about practical and steps you can take. And, and, you know, a lot of this is principle and there isn't a lot of specifics right. we can give because I think uh, it varies from church to church and city to city. I don't right. think there's a way to really know what to say and know um, exactly what to do for your church because what works for your church and your socioeconomic context and everything else may not work for the church that I'm a part of. Up and to so. a point, yes, there's no template, but at the same time, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as you would mm -hmm. yourself, I think is a pretty accurate template to be thrown out in any given uh, situation. Yep, I agree. You um, know what I mean? Yeah, and we look at that and say, okay, so what methods and what... Um, 
what methods fall under that, basically? What what can we do that falls under that? And I think that's a good question for, for churches to ask. Um, so here's, here's, a, here's a difficult one. This is one I'm pretty sure I'll be trying to figure out for the rest of my life. Uh, but uh, how can how can the church, the local church, be loving to social groups that it disagrees with in methodology or ideology or even theology? Again, like I, I look at the example of Christ, right? When a Roman officer had a sick servant and was brought to Jesus's attention, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't go through a list of why he couldn't help him. He didn't approach him as an oppressor or an occupier. He didn't. He just saw someone in need of love and healing, mm-hmm. saw someone with the faith to reach out to him and responded accordingly, you know? Yeah. And I think using that as a template, I mean, and, and I think that, that that reaching out to him is, is, a, is a big factor that we might miss some of the times, but it, it, was, it was somebody who maybe didn't expect a response, but was willing to put them out there and make themselves vulnerable and say, I would like some help of some fourth way, shape, or form, right? And I think too often when we respond, and I'm speaking about myself just in general, I see something, I see an injustice, so I go, ah, I want to respond. Uh, I don't stop to take into account, does people, do people want my help in this particular mm-hmm. instance? You know what I mean? Is it, is it warranted? And, you know, I think I see this a lot in our schools too, especially with the LGBTQ plus uh, movements that are that are happening in, in different schools. I know that Andrews apparently just made a, a national yeah, shame that. list uh, for for some of the ways that they've handled things in the past. And, and there's been mixed response to that, uh, both positive and negative. But, you know, there there are people that are crying out for help. And there are people that are crying out to be recognized or to be loved. And yeah, we may disagree on how best to love um, love someone. But I think there's something to be said for bringing some emotional healing before you worry about calling someone out on, on a perceived sin. I, I, and I wonder if this makes sense to you, right? If you're going to <clears throat> attempt to love somebody and help somebody, right? Mm-hmm. But you might have an issue with their point of view, their lifestyle, what have you. Okay. And you, and you, and you start off with some kind of correction prior to loving them and building up that relationship through empathy and, and interaction, then they're going to have less of a reason to listen to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just, just to come with correction first and then say, we'll handle the other stuff later. It doesn't really show that we as a church uh, are putting love as a priority. If we build a bridge, if we love people, regardless of whatever the situation is, especially somebody or a group that might feel marginalized or pushed aside or outcast, excuse me, outcast, then I think we're doing them a disservice to just start with, get these uh, things in order before we deal with you Mm -hmm. in a loving manner. And I think that can go a long way if we uh, attempt to do that towards separating ourselves uh, from being helpful as opposed to giving us an opportunity and inroad to be helpful. You know, I think, I think of, the example of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. You know, she was caught in sin. Mm-hmm. And yet the first thing Jesus does is not agree with anyone. The first thing he does is he protects her from her accusers. Mm-hmm. That's the, So she hasn't repented yet. She hasn't admitted to anything wrong yet. She She is openly vulnerable and in pain and humiliated and embarrassed. And there's so much going on. And the first thing Jesus does is he addresses her accusers first. And 
Then, when everything, when the dust settles, when everyone's gone, then he talks with her about her own, um, her own sin in her own life. And I think uh, that's kind of important that we would be a refuge there from the, for people who are being oppressed or being accused from, from the other side uh, and from all sides around them. Mm-hmm. So, I would agree with that. Absolutely. So I think, you know, we, we do get upset a little bit about, you know, we've got to, uh, we've got to call sin by its rightful name and we've got to, uh, we've got to make sure people are repenting. And that's true. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to insinuate that you shouldn't do that. I'm, what I'm saying is there's a time and there's a place for it. And, and if a relationship has been built and you approach sharing truth with somebody that you've already built a loving relationship with, they're going to be a lot more open and responsive because there's empathy there. Mm-hmm. It's not just coming at it from a, a black and white, right or wrong starkness. You know what I mean? You've built inroads. You've shown that you care for them regardless of whether there's agreement on a particular principle. But you might say, okay, I want to share this truth with you now. And they, they're going to be more willing, at least in my experience, they're going to be more willing to want to listen because they know that they hold a place of love in your heart. Mm-hmm. And you're not just a, a name or a face or somebody that's just doing something that you disagree with. Yeah. And, and this is why I, you know, this is ironic coming from the guy who runs a podcast, but um, this is why I kind of have an issue with a lot of these open letters and a lot of these um, public statements made to specifically address groups of people. Um, and I know I've done that before. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, if we're not incredibly careful about how we go about that, then we end up just making sweeping generalizations about a people when we haven't even gotten to know them at all. And... And I mean, I think I think it's safe to say too that a lot of times, oh, it just turns into a reason to criticize somebody you might not agree with. Mm-hmm. And going back to the example of Jesus with the woman, he loved her, he showed her love and compassion, and then he offered her a solution. Yeah, in him to overcome or, or deal with whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. And I think too often we go into something trying to reach out to a group that has been marginalized by the church or feels that they're too far gone or beyond the reach of the church. And we come at them with a little bit of compassion, but then we start that constructive criticism. And it, and instead of offering solutions, it just turns into criticism. There's no construction. Yep. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of people outside of the church that would probably agree with us on a lot of They're like, duh, why are you just saying this now? And I want to make it I want to make it clear that here you have two guys that are in the church that are saying this now. Like, I want like I, I want to say that 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 is um, that's at least a step forward, even if it's not a huge step forward. We're just two guys here. But um, that there there is movement happening from within. I've heard it in conversations. I've heard I had someone from one of my churches that I pastor approach me and. And he said, you know, I'm really trying to learn now that evangelism isn't just going up to people anymore, but that I've got to build that relationship with them. That's not the way it was when I was, you know, when I was middle-aged, when I was younger. And now I've got to learn how to do things differently. And that's that's the thing. We're, we're calling on people to change their attitudes or the way they approach these situations when they've been accustomed to doing them a specific way for the last 30, 40 years. And that just doesn't change overnight. That's true. So, um but I did want to address that. I think that's really important for those people that are going, duh, why do I need to listen to this? That's <laughs> don't, don't think that, that uh, movement isn't happening because I think it is. And I think, you know, too, just from, from the side of people reaching out from within the church, sometimes we don't know what to say mm-hmm. because I, 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 there, there are times when I really wonder, it's like, are people going to want to listen to me at all? Just because if I 
if I have any kind of official backing behind what I'm doing or, or an association with something that somebody already wants to hold at arm's length, best case scenario, or am, 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 am I going to have any kind of an impact or ability to reach out without, uh, without being given the, you know, you know what I mean? The benefit of the doubt, like mm. there are yeah. times when I, d I don't know because I want to reach out, but I, I don't know what to say without mm -hmm. making a mistake. And I think one of the keys to reaching out, you, you're making yourself vulnerable, but you're willing to make mistakes. You're willing to not reach every, be able to reach everybody. Yeah. And you still reach out anyway. And I think it's important to remember, you know, Jesus, Jesus really invested himself in 12 individuals. One of them ended up betraying him. Um, yeah. But he trusted the entire future of his ministry on 12. He didn't focus on trying to reach every single person in his city. He focused on the people that were responsive. Uh, and the people that would follow. And so I think that's another, you know, if you're trying to figure out what area do I focus on, what area is, um, you know, what area is responding, start scattering some seeds of, of, of meetings and of, and of going out and doing things. And the people that respond, those are the people that you follow to follow up with. Those are the people that you reach out to. So, um, you know, and, and if you're a, I think if you're a, you're a pastor and you're trying to figure out what, when do I take an opportunity or not? Uh, the other night I was leaving my church. We were doing communion practice. And as we were walking out to our cars uh, to just go home for the night, there was a lady across the street in a wheelchair and her um, her son and his girlfriend sitting on their porch. And now when I showed up for communion practice, there was an ambulance outside of their, their house. And I was like, I don't know, I can't, like, I wanted, I was like, Lord, help me, you know, give me something to do here, but I know I can't do anything yet. So as we were leaving, all of a sudden she looks and she waves. And so I, uh, me and the head elder both waved back and, I, and then I was like, hey, we have an opportunity here. And so we both walked over and started talking to them and turns out um, that her son had been having seizures and he, had, he um, hadn't been able to get to his medication and that's why they had to call 911, but he was doing okay at that moment. Um, but this was an area that we got to connect with this. This was a moment that we got to connect with this woman and, and her family who um, had very little to eat at the time, who had very little um, to go on and, and living very, very paycheck to paycheck as she had some medical issues going on. And, and But this was, an, this was a time that we got to connect. And I think don't be cognizant of those. If you're at church, if you're doing anything mm -hmm. church related, you need to be on the lookout for, for the person who might wave once. That might be your door, you know? So be be on the lookout for those moments. I think. <coughs> and yeah. you teach students, so uh, you know you're you're teaching high school students, and so um, you know you don't have to share any any stories necessarily. But but what are some of the things that you look for when you're connecting um, with students on a on a regular basis? Uh, one of the big things that that I try to be aware of is. The majority of my students are uh, Latin American, African American. It's it's minority uh, communities within the the church, right? And I'm here. I am this big, you know, ginger white guy. Um, I, I I have to be very cognizant that their experiences are going to be drastically different from what mine were. The stuff that shaped me is not necessarily going to be what's shaped them. So I have to be very very aware. A that I can't take for granted that we've had the same experience and B I have to be very open to learning from them. And even though I, yeah, I, I teach these students, I I'm very willing to say, I don't know everything. What is it like? I, I, I want to be willing 
and receptive to the experiences they have that are uniquely theirs in their world mm. and not dismissive of something, even if it's offhand dismissive, because I think I know the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Um, there were there were a lot of kids that would come to me when I taught and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this or I have this issue going on or I'm tempted to go do this. And I would tell them like, well, I when I was in your shoes, I did it and it ended up biting me in the butt, right? Like, right. And, I, and, and you sometimes want to scream out like, don't make the decision you're going to make. But then you know that they're probably going to do it anyways because you did it anyways. <laughs> and so the next thing that I would say is, you know, I feel like you shouldn't. But if you do and if it ends up hurting you, you know you have a place you can come back to. Um, if you make this decision and that was a big step, um, for them to be, and I had several kids that would come back to me if, if they had made those, those decisions and, and they would say, Hey, I, I messed up. And just the fact that you're willing to be authentic and real and admit that you don't have all the answers, mm -hmm. I think is a huge deal. Yeah. I think, um, we need to stop trying to be, or we need to stop being understanding and start just trying to understand. Where, yeah. you know, stop saying, oh, yeah, I understand you and I understand your struggle. No, like, no, you don't. That's the entire point. And to assume yeah. that you can from from out from an outside perspective is just um, is insensitive and it's assuming uh, onto their lives. It's it's just and we do that a lot because we think that the Bible can explain everything. And while the Bible does explain everything in principle and and it doesn't always explain specific situations and. And so to say, it, it gives us guidelines as opposed yeah. to details in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, and so to say, like, yeah, because I'm a Christian, like, I totally understand why you're struggling with this sin. No, 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 no. You understand why they're sinful. You don't necessarily understand why they're struggling with a sin right. that you've never even touched. Right. Um, or if you or if you inhabit one sphere of a community too, like you you mentioned after the the tragedy in Dallas, how um, the church reached out to the community of officers, first responders within the church. And I think that's important to let them know that despite tensions that might be there because of the actions of a few that you appreciate the community mm -hmm. flip side of that. Are you also reaching out to the African-American community Yeah, and saying that we recognize that you have valid reasons for being upset and mistrustful of a certain segment of society and we value and respect you as well. And that becomes kind of a fine, uh, you know, line to kind of walk across because you, you want everyone in the church to understand that they are loved. They're not marginalized. They're not mm -hmm. a subset that, it, you know what I mean? That, that kind of gets pushed away or, or not talked about or spoken about. And, and there's validity to every member of the church. And so I think it's hard sometimes because how do you reach out to one without another, especially if they're diametrically opposed over an issue uh, uh, you know, without stepping on a few toes. And I think you have to be willing to, I don't want to say ruffle feathers because it sounds like it's being intentional, but you have to be willing to reach out to people, even if it means that it might upset other people in the short term because they might not understand or they might feel like it's at their expense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. I think that's really important. And and, you know, that, that, that really makes me think as a church when you're interacting with these issues, um, when I see a lot of these arguments take place between uh, was this person's protest respectful, was this person's way of doing this this way, and we try to dig ourselves into camps of they were wrong or they were right. 
And I don't think that the church needs to be doing that necessarily. I think what, what the local church can be doing is the only camp that we kind of entrench ourselves in is, is Jesus Christ, right? Right. And so the right. only thing that we're doing is going out and saying, hey, we understand that you're hurting. That's all we understand at the moment. So let's talk and, and we, know that and you're we loved. Might not, and we might not even understand how or why. Yeah, exactly. Be, be willing to say, you know what? Help me to understand. Yeah. Like help me, un- yeah. Help and, me and not just, see not this. Just, you know what I mean? And help me so that I can minister to you better. Like what, what do you need from me? We, we don't always have the solution. There are times where we're going to have to go into it saying, what do you really need for me to be effective in helping you? I have gained far more respect from individuals, from organizations in general, for the times that I've been willing to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. Rather than the times that I've tried to just make up some random answer that is end up ends up being gibberish and untrue, because they can see that you're not authentic. If that's the case, exactly. You know what I mean, like the authenticity counts yeah. so much more. And if I'm making up an answer, like I'm usually clear about it, like you know, I don't know what the answer to this is, but if I had to give you one right now, this is what I'd say. Um, though that can be dangerous. So typically, what I'll say is, I don't know the answer to this. Give me a week to really dig into this, and then I make that priority number one to study about or research about for for the next week if I if I don't know the response to a question. Um, but the pressure needs to be off of the pastor uh, or the church member to know the answers to everything. I think we need to be willing to say, I don't know, and to study more, and to listen more, uh, and to interact with these things more. So That's, Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so this is, this is a big one. Um, and Jerome and I touched on this a little bit when uh, we talked about perception in... Uh, a previous episode, but how do we deal with public perception of the church, whether positive or negative, or should we even deal with it at all? In my opinion, the only public perception that we should be concerned about is, am I representing Christ in a way that's going to bring him glory? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I shouldn't be worried about, am I going to upset camp A or camp B with my actions? I should be asking myself, is God leading me to do this? Am I bringing him glory? Am I putting the focus on his love, his redemptive uh, ability to transform people, or am I putting it on myself? Yep. Other than that, I don't think we should really worry because you're never going to please everybody all of the time. No. You know what I mean? And no matter what you do, there's going to be some group of people who is going to take exception to the way something is done because it's not the way they would have done it. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think it's, it's really important for churches to just decide if you're going to get in. I was trying to think of the way to put this. So I'm sorry for that. Um, It's really important for a pastor when they're saying, we're going to get involved with this. If, if any of your motivation is I want to rock the boat, stop. Agreed. Just stop. If your if your thing is, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna create a you know, we're gonna really rock the boat with this, stop. If your if your motivation isn't anything but this is done out of my love for Jesus Christ and what I feel him calling us to do, and you're doing this just because you wanna make a splash, just because you wanna rock the boat, just because you want to make some headline as the church that did something better than the other churches, stop. Like, just don't do it. I would rather you not be involved as the church at all and be completely quiet than to be doing things just because you want your church as the next positive headline. And realistically speaking, if you're doing something that God's asked you to do and you're stepping out in faith into that space, you're more than likely going to rock the boat. Yeah, exactly. So so not to say if you're seeing, 
your church make waves as a way of responding in Christ's love, don't be afraid of that, but don't intentionally set out to put the spotlight on you or your church. The spotlight needs to be on Jesus and what he's able to do in that situation. I agree. And I think, yeah, and I think it's wise to go into it knowing like, hey, this could rock the boat. Like, you know, you can acknowledge mm-hmm. that it's a possibility, but it should never be a motivation. It should always be a result of something. And I think that's that's the important way you could put that. Um, and rock the boat is the only words that you could use. It's I'm going to make a splash. I'm going to change something. Oh, this is really going to get people thinking. Stop that. If it's not motivated or grounded in Jesus' love and Jesus' calling for your church and your mission, then don't do it. Um, I think that's really important. So, and, and one of the objective ways you can stop something if someone says that is if your church has a mission statement, which I, should, I would highly suggest you have, an objective way to stop it is just to say when someone suggests something, hey, how does this accomplish our mission? And at that point, mm. if they can't answer that question in a concrete way, then you just say, well, maybe we need to revisit this, or maybe we need to shelve this for a bit until we can figure it out, or maybe we need to figure out something else. Right, explore it further or something. Yeah. And then it doesn't have to be a, I disagree with you and you disagree with me. It just needs to be a, hey, we are, we are a church about the mission that God has given us. And so that mission comes first because it's God who comes first. So, um, yeah, and, and I talked about this a little bit too uh, with Jerome, but yeah, public perception as far as like, you know, Jesus did what Jesus did. And if people got upset about it, okay, that's fine. And he, the biggest thing was that he was confident that what he was doing was grounded in his calling. If he flipped over tables and cracked a whip in the temple, he knew he was confident in what his purpose was, what his calling was, and what that was grounded in, so that he didn't care what the headlines said. He didn't care what what rocking the boat meant. There, it was specifically someone was disrespecting, or a people were disrespecting God and God's place in the place that people come to experience salvation, experience God in that time was being abused, and so he put an end to it. Um, there are times that we will rock the boat, I think, but being grounded and, and confident in our mission and our calling is, I think, the number one thing. Yeah, I would um, agree with that. So, okay, so we've talked about hosting conversations as a church. We've talked about um, looking for the appropriate groups and responding, things like showing appreciation to a group or um, reaching out. But um, what, what do you think are some practical ways that a local church can reach out to a hurting community, um, regardless of what that community is? And you can give specifics. Um, you cannot give specifics. But what are some of the things that you might suggest uh, that a church even try? I mean, one of the first things I would do is I would make sure that you're connecting with that community. You can't do anything to reach out and help somebody from afar. You know what I mean? Like we can't sit there and say, okay, oh, okay, what can we do from our little island over here without getting the the smelly, you know, tainted of the worldness yeah. on us? Like you have to get out and be willing to get dirty and get down in the trenches and, and, and connect with a community that might make you uncomfortable and that might make you ask yourself a lot of, in very introspective uh, questions. Yep. Um, I think that's, that's, that's big. If you're not already involved with the community, then you inviting them just becomes a, Hey, let the church solve your problems without any relationship. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I should go back to my suggestion too of, of hosting a conversation. So say you're a youth pastor and you want to have a conversation about race relations with your youth. Um, if you're never, if you haven't done it before, don't tell your youth to invite their friends who don't go to the church. Like, uh, if you haven't done it before, you don't have a track record of how this is going to go. You need to create the environment that starts this conversation in a positive way 
so that then in the future as as your youth or as your church members come out to these conversations then when they invite their friends and their friends say is this going to be a place where i'm just told i'm a sinner and this is going to work and they say no we've been to these before um, we our church has been having these conversations for a while and I, I i you know i'd love for you to be a part of this when they do invite someone um but, i think i think that's important i think it's also like you're not just bringing uh, one point of view to something when you do something like that because you're willing to reach out and, and connect with multiple points of view. I mean, you might have one way of looking at it from your experience, but you have youth, you have people within your church that you can tap for their experience, for their advice, for their, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't ignore that and don't think that you have to provide everything yourself. Like, be willing to sit there and say, okay, I have no experience with X, Y, or Z. I need to bring in people who have or I need to connect with people who have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, be willing to ask for help, and whether that's going to your conference, whatever, asking for help to interact with, with these things. And you know, I think a third thing is you need to create a culture of, of a welcoming culture, a culture of acceptance, and otherwise, and an, an evangelistic culture in your church before you start doing any mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. If you're like, I'd love to start doing evangelism in, in in church, but the first thing I need to start doing is is the first question I need to ask is, can my church even do this? Are my people ready to do this? Or are there internal conflicts that I need to solve right now that could hinder those things later? Do we have a greeter team? Do we have someone at the door that would welcome someone when they come in? Uh, do we have people that would be willing to go out into the community? And, and are they trained in, in these kind of conversations? Be prepping for um, ways. How are we going to follow up with people that we meet or people that, that come to us? And um, prepare your church to do these things. To that end... Hearing you say that really made me think of something that I think we overlook a lot of times is, is if you're setting out to do something, get together with your group and pray and ask God what he would like you to do, mm-hmm. and which seems like an, like an overly simplified thing. But I think too often we want to grab the reins, run, go, do, act, and we don't take the time to invite the Lord to say, I would appreciate it if you would do this. He might have a specific thing that he's asking your group to do a specific area that uh, he would like you to reach out to before anything else. And we might mm-hmm. not be aware unless we take the time to invite his leadership and, and his direction into the process. Yep. So yeah, starting with prayer, I think is a, is a really big, um, big part of that, you know, to just say, Lord, what can we do? Do you want us to do anything here? Um, and show us the way that you would have us walk as a church. Um, that is a part of that prep, I think. Preparing yeah. your heart and preparing your mind spiritually to reach out in these areas. Um, and, you know, when I say prepare, I'm talking about everything as small as like, hey, is the way that someone walks into your church, is it welcoming? Or are your doors, you know, are your doors see-through that when they when they look into the lobby as they're walking up, they can see what they're going to expect when they walk in those doors? Or does it seem like it's intimidating or does it, is there a way that you can make it? Maybe you set up a tent outside of the, the doors to your church where you're giving people water or lemonade as they walk in on a hot day or you're offering um, hot chocolate or apples, hot apple cider in the colder months as people walk in. And so you have your greeter team right there at the forefront um, offering people something as they come in the door that they can be physically taken care of before they even walk in the door and have to introduce or, or, or interact with anything spiritual or emotional. Another, another way I think that you can reach out to different communities is meet them on their turf. Mm. Don't always expect it to be something where they have to come to your church. Cause like you said, even that act could be something that's kind of intimidating. Yep. Be willing to go meet them where they're at. 
And we see that in, in Jesus a lot, whether it's with Zacchaeus or with Simon or with, you know, Mary Magdalene, with all the different, you know, Lazarus. There's, he's constantly meeting people in their home setting, their yep. turf, and not waiting for them to just yeah. only be in one particular. Yeah. yeah. Is there is there a protest going on? Go and, and not necessarily be a part of it as a church, but, you know, just bring out signs that say, hey, we love you. Bring out water for the people that are protesting. Bring out, you know, do something. I, I loved after after the Pulse shooting, these uh, two pastors that are friends of mine, Angela Grasso and, and Eddie Cornejo, they went down to Orlando and they did prayer chains. With the, and right. I think I've talked about this before, but they, you know, they went out and did prayer chains for vigils. And this was for a group of people that the church has traditionally been seen as against, right? Because the pulse shooting was LGBTQ plus victims. And here were these two guys and, and the people that they had rallied with them. They traveled down, one from, from South Carolina, the other from a different area, from a, a different city in Florida. They traveled down and they were weeping with people. They were praying with people. They were letting people just express the hurt and the confusion and the anger that they felt in response to this and, and process it. And they just did it. And they weren't saying that the way you're processing this is necessarily wrong. They didn't, they weren't, they were just there to mourn with those who are mourning and weep with those who are weeping. And if you it, just using that event as a, a kind of a springboard for some other things, I, I remember uh, hearing uh, how Florida hospital forest Lake churches would reach out and they would not only pray with victims or offer, offer counseling, but, they, they saw a need within the community. People were going to need uh, funeral services mm-hmm. and things like that. And they provided it for, you know, free of charge. And, free, and if you see a need that allows you to express God's love, I think that that's something that, that can really, you don't have to preach. You just have to love people in a way that makes a difference. Yep. And that's all the preaching that needs to be done. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, as soon as there, people look at media and people look at, uh, at a lot of this stuff, you know, the Forest Lake thing definitely went viral. And I know another prayer, another church did a prayer vigil um, throughout the night. Um, and there are different things that you can do to open up your church specifically. But if you as a pastor have come up with ways for your church that you're going to respond to this and you, you know, your board has voted on these things or whatever, and you've got people moving, um, make a video of you just talking to the camera and saying, Hey, this is, you know, I'm so-and-so from this church and, and I want to, um, on behalf of my church, condemn these actions. And, and here are some of the steps we're taking to do this. And I'm not saying like broadcast everything and like, look at us and look at what we're doing. But I think the church needs to be vocal in condemning some of the actions that have been taken. Um, and church leadership does too. There's a lot of silence to be made up for. It. Especially actions that, People are trying to uh, shroud within saying, oh, I, you know, this is something that I'm doing to protect God or yeah. protect his sovereignty because he needs our protection. Yeah, obviously. Because <laughs> God is someone that needs us to protect him whenever yeah. someone takes but advantage if, of if him. You see somebody, if you see somebody doing something in the name of God that runs counter to everything that we're taught in Scripture, counter to that life-changing love, and I do think the church has responsibility to speak up and say that is not in line with scripture and, and we don't condone it and we're not going to be silent about other people doing something in God's name that is not in line with his character. When Westboro Baptist Church came to protest the funerals of, of victims of the Pulse shooting, uh, I, I loved the, the angels that came out. The, guy, the, you know, the church members that came out, they weren't Adventists, I don't think, and 
uh, but they came out, they dressed as angels, they made a wall, and they basically were, I think they were singing. I don't remember exactly what they were doing, but whatever they were saying or expressing, they made sure to be louder than the Westboro Baptist Church members who were spreading hatred through their protest. And I think that's what the church needs to be doing is, is being vocal enough to drown out some of that hatred um, in favor of those who are hurting and those who need the love. And I think that that's so I, I and I think that's a good illustration. Whatever we can do to be vocal and to be louder than the hatred that is already being screamed and being shouted. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think we've gotten a good list and, and I hope that that there are. Um, I hope that there are some things that you may have thought of, hey, maybe there are some things I can bring up to my pastor or maybe there are things I can bring up um, in my next meeting of ways that we can reach out to some of these communities. Um, and I and I, I hope that you take them seriously. I hope that you would pray about them before you jump into any of them, um, that you would uh, that you would center your heart and your mind around the love of Jesus, that that, he, that is what is compelling you to do these things and not just because you want to make a splash or make a name for your church or yourself. I don't think that's... That is not in the spirit of Jesus, I don't think. And, um, you know, Stephen, thank you for coming on. I I uh, really appreciate, appreciate I, I appreciate your outlook, your perspectives. I've learned a bit through this as well and, and had some ideas even that I can take back to um, to my churches in some of this. But um, are there any final thoughts or any challenges, any questions, anything that you want to talk about before uh, we close out here? I guess the, the, the one thing, and it's a challenge uh, no matter what you're doing, but especially in dealing with people where you might not see the eye to eye with them is to remember, you know, that in spite of all our differences, we're called to love each other the way that Christ loved us. Yeah. You know, I agree. And, 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 and if we keep that in mind, like that he loved us while we were still his enemies, like we don't have to agree to love somebody. They don't have to be in line with our way of thinking for us to reach out and love them. In fact, we should be doing it to the people who we're in the biggest disagreements with. And that's a huge challenge because it pushes us out of our comfort zone. It pushes me out of my comfort zone. But if we're willing to look at things through that lens of like, I'm called to love people the way Christ loved me, mm. then I think that that's going to go a long way towards opening our heart and our mind to re being receptive to what God might be asking us to do. Man, in any given you just, you just reminded me of something I just preached on. Uh, it's something I touched on in a sermon recently, but in Genesis 15, Abram is talking with God and God is, this is where God makes the promise and the covenant with, with Abram before he becomes Abraham. And he's, he says, I'm going to give your descendants this land that the Chaldeans currently are occupying. And he says, but first your descendants are going to go through uh, 400 years of captivity and of affliction. And then I will bring them out and occupy this land. And there was like, well, how do I know that these things are going to happen? And so the Lord gives him specific instructions that would be known as a Hebrew blood covenant, uh, where he tells him to bring three different animals together, cut them in half. And the way that the Hebrews would make these covenants is they would, um, they would each party that was making the covenant would walk through the two pat the two sides. And and I think you know where I'm going with this. And this is this is just this blew my mind when I when I when I saw this happen. So each party would do this as a sign of a covenant to each other. But when God made this covenant with Abram, uh, it says that only a flaming torch and uh, a, a pot of fire, um, I think it was something fire related, walked through, um, walked through the animals, but Abram didn't. So God made this promise to Abram that I'm going to give your descendants these land or this land, regardless of what you do. If you turn away from me, if you condemn me, if you curse me, whatever it may be, I have made this promise to you. I will be faithful to you regardless of your decisions. 
Um, and I think with a hurting community, being faithful to them and loving them regardless of, of how much they may scream out against you, like that's huge. And, and not expecting that love back. Not not having any expectations, but just loving and being faithful uh, to the people that God loves and is faithful to. Like that's that's just that blew my mind when I encountered that in scripture, and you just reminded me of it. Uh, so thank you for that. Well, um, I think that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Absurdity and Absurd Church. You can find more about The Absurdity at www.theabsurdity.org. You can also find us on iTunes if you just search The Absurdity with Ryan Becker. Uh, And if you want, subscribe and uh, leave a review. If it's a negative review, uh, just contact me and we'll talk it out, right? Uh, So you can contact me if you have any questions, if you want to be involved with the show in any way, uh, ryan180becker at gmail.com. And uh, Stephen, is there there any way that people can contact you? Is there any way that, that, like Twitter... Uh, or anything that that you would prefer? Yeah, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason, uh, even if it's just to make fun of the color of my hair, uh, you can get a hold of me at sh squared s h s q u a r e d, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at that handle, uh, an email at Gmail at that handle, and yeah. Cool. So yeah, if you want to follow Stephen and some of the things that he interacts with and and, and his ministry, you can you can find him there. Just a, so. a warning for those that do jump on my Twitter feed. It's kind of split half and half between things that I find funny slash outrageous and Liverpool soccer. So that's fair. Uh, just a warning, heads up, you're going to get a lot of Liverpool. And if, if you, you follow me, you'll get a lot of Chelsea. So that's how that's how we that's how, that's how we that's how we roll. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Take care. This has been uh, the absurdity, uh, and we'll see you next week.